Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Friday, December 2nd, 2022, and our show will be rebroadcast on Monday, December the 5th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. At koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 135th post COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis, with your host, Pedro Gatos. Again. Thanks for joining us. We have a sensational show tonight, as quite frankly we have every Monday night. If your interest is to get as close to the truth as any news and analysis show will allow you, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness, where we invite you to join in our weekly pursuit for social justice, a pursuit where we seek to separate fact from fiction and where we acknowledge uncertainty, where we seek to deconstruct deceit by identifying where unproven allegations are presented as fact through repetition in the absence of evidence and where uncertainties are approached from a humble critical thinking perspective because our interest is in deconstructing deceit and depression not enabling it tonight we return to the controversial and emotional subject of the russian ukraine nato u.s conflict want to assure all listeners that we spend enormous amounts of time making sure that what we present on Bringing Light into Darkness is worthy of being presented on the radio. Tonight's show, Mike Whitney rejoins Bringing Light into Darkness, and we explore, among other things, the geopolitical framing of the conflict itself and try to separate emotion from sound investigative journalism, even if some would argue that's not possible enjoy okay welcome alternative news listeners this is 91.7 koop hornsby austin this is bringing light into darkness monday news and analysis today is friday december the 2nd 2022 it's my mom's birthday she passed away a couple of years ago really miss her and have some words for her at the end of the show today Anyhow, this show will be aired live on coop.org, 91.7 FM, on Monday, December the 5th, 2022. We turn our attention back to the issues that are occurring in Ukraine, in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I had some introductory comments and then wanted to formally introduce our very special guest, someone who's been very much in the ballpark of what's been transpiring that's not being reported by the mainstream press. That would be Mike Whitney. Mike, welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness. I'll more formally introduce you in just a second. Thank you for joining us. Today's world of news is like the most diverse and comprehensive food buffet one can imagine. Whatever you want to eat, you can find it and load your plate up with it. 
whatever my political perspective is, no matter how correct or wrong it might be, I can find endless articles on the internet and mainstream media to support it. Perfect example of what I'm trying to get at was the Downing Street memo, which many informed scholars considered a smoking gun memo of July 23rd, 2002, secret meeting by senior British government defense and intelligence figures discussing the buildup to the war in Iraq, which included direct reference to classified United States policy at the time. The memo was written by Downing Street foreign policy aide Matthew Rycroft and recorded the head of the secret intelligence service, the MI6, as expressing the following view regarding his recent visit to Washington, namely that George Bush wanted to remove Saddam Hussein through military action justified by the conjunction of terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. But the intelligence and facts were being fixed around the policy, end quote. In other words, we were being lied to by believing it was sound intelligence that indicted Saddam Hussein, that he was harboring al-Qaeda, that he had weapons of mass destruction when the intelligence was in fact chronically lacking in that certainty of such a finding. But we wanted to go to war, so we fixed the policy, the intelligence around that policy. Of wanting to go to war. The rest is history. Judith Miller and the New York Times, the mainstream press, in cahoots with the Bush administration, led us to an unjust war, which was preceded by reckless sanctions that together with the war took the lives of well over a million Iraqis. The war crime is a huge unresolved moral problem. Let's just leave it at that. However, the larger problem remains hidden from our U.S. consciousness, namely that the problem is that the lies that took us to war in Iraq are not isolated aberration of our government policies of lying to the public. We know without doubt through the Pentagon Papers and the Afghan Papers that we were lied to about Vietnam, that we were winning and that we were promised all those years that we were winning. When we knew we were not the same for the Afghan papers, again, we were told we were winning when we knew we were not and proven facts by classified and declassified data made public in both of those venues prove our knowledge of our lying to the American public. Meanwhile, in Vietnam, millions more died. But wait, we were lied to about Libya, which led to our U.S.-NATO overthrow of that government. We were lied to by John Kerry and Ob Obama administration regarding the false certainty that Assad had gassed his own people in August of 2013 and that the backbone of the armed revolt against Assad were moderate forces rather than the Muslim extremist al-Qaeda types that were in alliance with our efforts to regime change the Syrian government. So another 700,000 died. And later, the U.S. illegally occupies today the oil-producing land in Syria. Meanwhile, who do we support? We arm, train the Saudi Arabia's intervention in Yemen that has resulted in another million deaths and more from the war and the starvation there that we have facilitated through Saudi Arabia and supported them. It was initiated in 2015 by the Obama administration and has continued to date. Do the math. That's over 5 million people of color from these U.S. foreign policy conflicts, and we have been lied to all along the way by our government and the mainstream media, which failed to do their job, which is to seek out and report the truth. So today, I receive emails indicating that our show, Bringing Light into Darkness, is 
beyond contempt in that we're reporting Russia talking points and Russian lies because we have guests that question the mainstream narrative that Russia is the lone aggressor and the evil empire when it comes to the Ukraine-Russia-U.S.-NATO conflict. We do not claim to know the absolute truth about the unfolding events there, but through investigation, research of both sides of the conflict, the clear preponderance of information indicates a much different story than we've been told about the certainty that Putin and Russia are evil and beyond redemption. I have lost several close friendships, and there's nothing more important in life to me than good friends. It is hard not to be emotional when you lose those friendships, you know, these friendships that have been built up for decades because you get disowned by those you care about, by those whose children you adore and will always adore, and who are now into their third or fourth decade of life. So you do, you take a hard look at yourself and you go back and you review and you reinvestigate competing versions of the truth, which contradict each other. You go back and you revisit and you re-question your own research and data, and it reminds you that you are fighting to unveil and fight against what is worthy of your efforts. That the forces of oppression and gross wealth inequality generate through poverty, hunger, war, man-made misery, meaning it can be reversed. And it must be reversed because its results are taking millions of years off of lifespans for each generation of human beings unnecessarily. And the quality of life until that premature death is one that must be improved because we are all human beings. We deserve a life of dignity and not one based on want. So it is in that context we have learned to question the mantra that we are fighting for democracy and anyone that opposes our foreign policy are evildoers or communists whose governments we must change. And I urge everyone to have the humility to not believe everything we think when it comes to our U.S. foreign policy, especially since we have been lied to time and time and time again, especially when we stop and realize that there are just some six or seven corporations that own and generate some 80% of all the news that we digest and which shape our perceptions and misperceptions about these foreign policy issues. It is in that context that we seek to get at the real underlying causes that are underreported that lead us to believe Russia as authoritarian as it might be and not the foreign policy as described above by the country Dr. Martin Luther King described just one year before his death as the greatest purveyor of violence in the world that lead us to believe that Russia is the sole responsible party for the conflict and horrific war that is raging in the Ukraine. And as that subject, we continue to pursue tonight with our guest, Mike Whitney. So with that being said, first, let me introduce Mike Whitney. He's a, a renowned geopolitical and social analyst based in Washington State. He initiated his career as an independent citizen journalist in 2002 with a commitment to honest journalism, social justice, and world peace. He is a research associate at the Center of the Research on Globalization. He writes regularly for the UNS Review. Mike, welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness. Great to be here, Pedro. So let me just share just a couple of more things and ask you to speak to a couple of articles that you have recently written. In one of your articles, you refer to extensive interviews by Colonel Douglas McGregor that we'll get to in a little bit that were with a Polish investigator, November 22nd, 2022. So it's very recent. And he talks about, among other things, 
that not only are these Azov neo-Nazis and their supporters murdering Russians by execution of prisoners, but they're actually murdering their own people. That they, if you refuse to fight uh, as a Ukrainian, there's been a number of executions. And they've also set out to kill Polish troops if they refuse to fight as well. Colonel Douglas McGregor goes on to say that we've been lied to, that the Russians are running out of munitions, yet that is not the case at all, according to Colonel McGregor. This guy, Colonel McGregor, he had a long stint in the European theater, particularly in Germany. So he really has sources that are very high in the German military that he refers to. And he actually indicates that the Germans at the rate of 40% or more are now really questioning the premises about what is going on in the war theater. But what I wanted to get to before asking you to speak is it seems like the greatest misrepresentation is that Russia is losing or that the Ukrainians are winning just by taking over land. But when you look at the actual casualties, Scott Ritter back on August 15th, 2022 on this show did just that and was comparing the civilian casualties versus the military combatant casualties, an important indice for how the war was being executed by Russia. And he was indicating that there were some 250,000 Ukrainian soldiers that had been killed or wounded and that 80,000 of them were dead. Okay. And if there's 80,000 dead soldiers, then historically, it means that the civilian deaths should be similar at 80,000. But instead, he claimed them there only to be eight to 10,000 of them. So when we talk about, and when McGregor talks about, and when Ritter talks about that the strategy from the very beginning for Russia was to protect civilian lives, the numbers do not lie. Now, you may question Ritter's numbers, but these numbers were just recently confirmed in another way by the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. She presented the total number of losses estimated to be more than 100,000 Ukrainian military officers being killed, she claimed. And then she walked that back when she got a lot of flack from our allies. She also added that around 20,000 civilians had died. Meanwhile, the last deal I wanted to add in that context of deaths was in late September. This number, again, seems to be confirmed and an accurate one because it's similar to what Russia's Defense Minister Sergei Shigo stated that Ukrainian losses by that date back in late September amounted to more than 61,000 troops dead, which was 10 times higher than those of Russia. So that's the big lie, it seems to me, Mike, that, that Russia is indiscriminately murderous and killing civilians when it looks like they've bent over backwards in their offensive and, and now that's changing as it seems to be turning into a real war, in a sense, led by the new commander that was instituted recently. Back on April the 10th, 2022, Alexandre Dvornikov. Can you tell us your take on the casualty rates here and what you would suggest Americans are best off believing if they want to get closer to the truth of the issues of casualties and the protections of civilians by the Russian offensive to date? Sure. And thank you for having me. Yeah, you're certainly not going to find the truth in the mainstream media, that's for sure, because it, it's a black box and there's only one narrative being spun. But it's clear, not only by the comments of uh, the European Commissioner Ursula van, van der Leyen, 
that uh, her slip of the tongue provided people definitive evidence that the Ukrainians are sustaining heavy losses, over 100,000 men already. And it's clear that they do not have the manpower to continue the war as they've been fighting it to this point because they are recruiting people who are in their 60s, people who are slightly infirm, and they're basically scraping the bottom of the barrel. Also, according to Scott Ritter, there have been at least 1,200 Poles who have been killed in the war, and there are tens of thousands serving in the war, as well as Romanians. So how is it that we don't know that these Polish divisions or battalions are operating in Ukraine? Well, the same way we don't know anything that's going on there, except what we read on Twitter and, and the internet. But the reality is that the Poles have been very enthusiastic in fighting this, and they've just changed uniforms, what Scott Ritter calls sheep dipping. They go over in their Polish regulars, and then they volunteer to fight in the Ukrainian army. There is a traditional animus between the Poles and the Russians. Of course, Poland was occupied by the Soviet Union, so there's plenty of reason to be hostile towards them, but that is transferred into the war now. But the idea that Russia is losing this conflict because they've given up some lightly guarded areas, including Kherson, that they couldn't protect unless they had lost a lot of men, doesn't speak to the reality that Putin just called up 300,000 reservists that are just now joining their formations and probably won't be evident in the conflict until they launch a winter offensive when the ground freezes. And the ground is slightly freezing now, but it's 32 or below at night, but still during the days it's warming up to 40. So we probably won't see that winter offensive till early January or possibly even February. But then we'll see what the Russian high command has in mind because they've called up enough people to impose their own settlement on Ukraine. And what people are talking about, I think particularly John Helmer, who's a Moscow-based journalist, and what he has been talking about recently in his uh, most recent articles is that the only way Russia can establish national security for itself is by creating a large demilitarized zone in the center of Ukraine, separating the Russian-speaking parts from the West. And because Ukraine is now getting long-range artillery from the United States and from NATO, that demilitarized zone is going to have to be at least 100 kilometers wide. So you're talking about a huge no-man's land in the center of Ukraine that's going to separate the warring parties. And I think that's the most realistic proposition, because if they don't do that, the war is going to continue forever if you just had a line of demarcation between the Russians and NATO and the Ukrainians, then you would have constant shelling going on. So mm -hmm. they have to create this large no man's land in the center and fill it with sensors so they know if people are traveling across there and have it constantly monitored by satellite surveillance and everything else so that anything crossing that is going to be considered an enemy combatant. So mm -hmm. this is the direction that we're headed right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that summary. And by the way, I just wanted to let folks know that your article, your most recent article of November 29th, a couple of days ago, Putin's Remedy, a fragmented toothless Ukraine separated by a hundred kilometer wide no man's land is where you're documenting Helmer's work and your own estimation that what he says makes great sense. Can I interrupt you for one minute, Pedro? Because I'd like to ask you a question at this point, because I think it might be helpful to your listeners if I just ask you one question so that they understand the context in which this war is being taking place. And that one question is simply this. 
If Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, had agreed to the status quo before the war, in other words, if he had agreed to maintain Ukraine's neutrality and not apply for membership in NATO, which Russia, of course, considers a hostile military alliance, if he had agreed to neutrality, which again was just the way it had been for all times, would this war have happened? So I'm, I'm asking you to answer that. No, I, I think that there's a great chance that there were a few things on the table that Russia needed. And the major one, the number was one neutrality, was, was neutrality. So in other words, this isn't about Russian yeah. imperial expansion. This isn't about Putin reconstituting or rebuilding the Soviet empire. This is entirely about national security for Russia and having the security that the United States would demand of any of its neighbors. You're not going to put your hostile enemy combat troops on my border. You're not going to put your nuclear missiles on my border. And that's what Russia requires. That what That's what Putin is demanding. And I think when we get into this whole idea of the architecture of global security, it sounds very pompous and very lofty. But when we think in terms of, aren't people entitled to live at peace without someone else having a knife to their throat? They should be safe in their homes, in their communities, in their country. And that is not possible for Russia if NATO's missile sites are on its border. So that's what this war is about. It's not about Russia. Mm -hmm. It's about basic security concerns. Well, and I think some of the premises that you are basing those claims on are ones that we want to talk about a little bit, because we are told that Russia is the aggressor and that they want to take over all of the European theater and that type of thing. But McGregor is very clear that when you look at the military buildup by Russia, these were his words, that the military buildup by Russia in the past 15 to 20 years was built preeminently to defend Russia, not designed for offensive warfare against its neighbors. And that the truth of this deal lies in the fact, as he says, is I think we fail to see that the reduction, the reduction of the size of their forces from the old Soviet Union days and the change in its orientation meant something very different from those Soviet times, right? Where the threat of such types of expansion might be real. What you're making is a very important point because people don't realize that in a global war, Russia might come out second best. In a war in Ukraine, right next adjacent to Russia, it is prepared to defend itself and it will defeat the United States in Ukraine, in its own backyard. Mm -hmm. It has the wherewithal and to defend itself. And if U.S. combat troops are going to come in there, they're going to meet the same result that the Ukrainian troops have met. And we haven't even seen total wartime mobilization in Russia yet. So mm -hmm. that would be coming if NATO gets involved. Right. And he mentions also, they both do, both him and Ritter and, and others, that there are now some over 500,000 Russian troops in the theater ready to go. Since they called up those 300,000 troops back on September the 21st, 2022. You mentioned those 300,000. That did not include 70, 80,000 volunteers. That did not include the fact that these folks were called up several months ago now, and they're, they are ready to go pretty much. Meanwhile, McGregor talks about just the United States military capacity. And he says that the U.S. has the most money and the most arms, but that does not equal a fighting force. We have 475,000 maintained in the Army with 150 to 160,000 actually 
fighting ready, not including a National Guard that he claims was abused for 20 years in the Middle East. Finally, he says, we have a bunch of generals, but just not a lot of fighting forces. That we don't have anywhere near the conventional forces that Russia has. And moreover, and I wanted you to speak to this, as he's talking about increasingly these NATO countries, he says that many of them now are not interested in being part of this because they're seeing what's going on. He says if you go to Spain or Italy or Portugal or Greece or even France behind the scenes, he says that there's not this support, that the U.S. is losing all of this support. And meanwhile, McGregor recently cited polling that over 40 percent or so of the Germans are seeing through these propaganda lies that Russia is losing the war and no longer support their government. There's an increase within NATO countries of protests that are not being reported here in the United States and basically NATO countries seeking an end to the hostilities. Can you tell us a little bit about the validity of the claims that the NATO countries' unification behind the Ukraine conflict is crumbling? Is that something you feel is an accurate reflection? But before you do, Mike, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. And this is Bringing Light into Darkness Monday News and Analysis. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. We'll be back in a flash. Don't touch that dial.